Testing. Oh, good. Good evening. How's everybody doing tonight? We're excited that you are here. I want to thank you personally uh, for uh, coming out tonight. I know uh, typically, obviously, uh, we don't do a lot on Sunday nights, uh, corporate prayer, um, various other things with baptisms and things like that. And so I'm sure you've carved out things in your own family's uh, life and time uh, that this may be a little bit of an imposition, but uh, I promise you, um, prayerfully and um, with a lot of hard work, uh, particularly from Stephanie uh, Jackson, our children's ministry director, um, that that we've put a lot into tonight, and we're excited uh, about what tonight is and is, is going to be for you and for your family. Um, my name is Greg Bowers, and this is my wife Nicole, and uh, we're kind of we're the MCs, although I'm going to hold the mic. Nicole's going to, she's going to be the uh, visual, she's kind of like Vanna White. Um, but the interesting thing I do, it's more of like a visual. Um, one of the exciting things is we did, um, well, for, let me start with this. This is the second annual uh, parenting conference. And last year we had a great uh, speaker, Steve Wright. He came in, he's uh, the youth pastor from Providence. And uh, it was a really exciting time, a time for him to come in and, and uh, speak to us about some things that he's really passionate about. Uh, afterwards we did a survey and some of the, the feedback we got, was all the feedback was really good. Uh, something that often was said was, uh, it was neat, it was nice to have somebody like Steve come in, but what, what does North Wake think about all of these things? And uh, basically, a couple times people said, you know, I sat on the row with a few elders from North Wake. I, I'd love to know what they think about um, parenting, about our church, about what we do and partner, how we partner with parents. And so we took that and ran with it. Um, so this year, uh, we've asked our elders and through their wisdom, they said, we need our wives. And uh, so that's why my wife is here to represent. Uh, this, this is coming from families. And I also love what Larry said this morning. Uh, families who haven't really figured it out. Uh, we're still struggling through it. And uh, so um, hopefully tonight is going to be helpful in that area for you. Um, a couple of announcements. When you came tonight, you got a, a bag. Hopefully you got a bag. If you didn't, you're going to want to get one. And inside that bag, it was, it was a folder. Thank you, Ben. Why don't you take the folder? There we go. Uh, you got a folder. And uh, if you want to go ahead and take that out right now, there's a couple things we can go through. Some of you may have already looked through it and stopped by the book table. Um, the first thing is, let's do the green. Uh, the first thing is you'll find a little green slip of paper. Uh, when you registered, we asked that you, if you had any questions, to go ahead and submit to the panel. And we didn't get that many. And uh, maybe you, weren't just, you hadn't thought about things then or, you know, it's just a real quick thing. You're trying to finish up the registration. So take that green slip of paper and... Uh, particularly through tonight, if you can, during this session even. Uh, maybe jot down a question, uh, drop that off. Where do they drop that off? Return it to the lobby on your way out to your breakout session. Um, and we will we'll try and, and answer as many of those as, in the panel as we can. We have about six or eight questions right now, and we should be able to get to 10 or 12. So um, drop that at the table, and we'll hope to get to it, um, if at all possible. Another piece of paper, you got a light blue sheet. Um, this year we would like to give uh, some resources. Uh, your $10 uh, registration fee went to uh, supply some of these resources. That blue sheet outlines uh, those three books. Um, one is Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Uh, it's a book that we um, really recommend highly from our ministry, from our church. Uh, Sacred Parenting by Gary Thomas, uh, another one that we, we highly recommend. And then Age of Opportunity by Paul David Tripp. Um, if any, this one would be more for youth, just if I can give you um, some information, and then Shepherding a Child's Heart is more for younger children on up, and then Sacred Parenting, I think it explains a little bit 
um, in the, on the blue sheet with that information. So you got a book voucher. Um, each paying adult got one of these, and so each couple should be able to get two books. Uh, if you're here by yourself, you get one book. Um, also, any of, the, any of the resources on the table are available for sale tonight just outright. And so if you see a couple of other books that you'd like, go ahead. They're just $10 a piece, and uh, feel free to pick those up as well. Um, uh, if you've got your schedule, it's also there in the front pocket. Just take a quick peek at that. Uh, I believe it's also up behind me. And um, I just want to make one quick change. The youth ministry, uh, I hope to hang it on at 605, will actually be in building 601. That's going to be 60, I mean, sorry, 602. Uh, so everything uh, but besides tonight's um, session in here, uh, all the other sessions are going to be in either 601 or 602. And so we'll just uh, mingle around there. Also, we would like for each session to be as balanced as possible. So if you walk in and one looks pretty full, maybe trickle on over to the other one. We've got about 80 people here, so that's going to be about 40 in each session. So um, just uh, I, uh, we're recording all of them, so uh, if you want to listen to one later, uh, but maybe that kind of pushes you in the direction of, of um, if you weren't really sure which you should listen to or where you should go, um, maybe that helps you just help be a balancing force in there. Let me kind of highlight a little bit about the two breakout sessions that our elders are going to be doing. One is family worship by the Matthiases, Greg and Paige Matthias. And here's a, kind of a little blurb. From Screaming Mondays to Saintly Sundays, the family is a primary place for the teaching and training of our children. So come here, Greg and Paige, as they talk about the importance of family worship both throughout the week and corporately on Sundays. There are no formulas. I think we all know that. But there's a lot of freedom in worshiping, worshiping together as a family. Uh, so that's kind of a description of their breakout. Uh, the Trotters breakout, Larry and Stephanie, um, they're basically going to split theirs up a little bit. Larry's going to talk about how to put to death the sin your children reveal, uh, which I think is very insightful. And then Stephanie's going to talk about how to fight for your time with God. Uh, and this is coming from a mother of five and a, hus- and a wife of one, uh, which both could be very uh, detrimental to our attempts at quiet time uh, alone with God. And so uh, come here, some, some really wise people. Uh, speak on those, maybe even share some struggles uh, that they've had. Uh, but our, um, and again, all those are happening in Building 6. Um, you have the times there, and then the panel discussion will be back in here tonight. Um, uh, and then if you didn't know, Stuart Bullman, um, one of our elders, is going to be sharing um, the key address tonight. And I'm going to pray for him if he'd like to come on up, and we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you. God, thank you that uh, in some, uh, some way, Lord, uh, you have blessed us and honored us uh, with the right and the privilege of raising children, Father, of um, disciplining them, loving them, encouraging them, and raising them up in the admonition, admonition of the Lord. Uh, Father, in this monumental task, um, if anything, reminds us uh, of our many shortcomings, of our failures, God, and of our desperate, desperate need for you. Uh, Father, I pray for Stuart. I pray, God, as he opens your word to us tonight, uh, Father, that um, those truths come to us. Father, thank you for his heart, his passion uh, for this, and most of all for you. Uh, God, help us truly worship uh, you tonight as we study your word together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, as, uh, as Greg said, that the um, elders were asked to uh, come and tell you what we knew about parenting, and so it will be a very short conference. We're, that's it. We're done. <laughs> uh, the bad news is that uh, 
or maybe it's the good news, is that Ann and I, uh, we, although we've had three kids and lots of experience, have never parented perfectly. The elders have never parented perfectly. In fact, no uh, conference that you've been to, no speaker that you've heard, no uh, educator or preacher has ever parented perfectly. So, but the, And we know that. That's not a surprise to us. Yet when we go and hear some other parent or we go hear parenting conference or something like that, we start thinking, oh my gosh, how badly have I done my parenting job? Sometimes we just feel intimidated by it. Uh, but uh, I want you to understand that we will today do as Larry taught the church is supposed to do is we're going to come together today and try to encourage one another in the process of persevering well. So Greg's already prayed for us, so we'll just press on through that and try to um, unpack what the scriptures have, because God does know how to parent, by the way. So 20 years ago, when Ann and I came home with our little baby girl from the hospital, uh, with the discharge papers, there was no uh, owner's manual. We searched for it, and we could not find one. We got plenty of advice, though, and some of the advice was wise. I would say some of the advice was frivolous, and some advice was ridiculous. I, um, perhaps you've heard of some of these. I I've, I've, I've did a little research, and I found an approach, which I, I've just got to read to you. But when I, as I read this to you, I want you to think three-year-old. Okay? Think three-year-old. So this is called Taking Children Seriously. It's a parenting movement and educational philosophy whose central idea is that it is possible and desirable to raise and educate children without either doing anything to them against their will or making them do anything against their will. It sees both praise and punishment as manipulative and harmful to children and advocates other methods to reach agreement with them. Okay, now, so you've got the picture of your three-year-old, and you're going to try to negotiate with them, to reach an agreement with them. I, I, I know there are some of you who are educators in here. I just can imagine what your classrooms would be like with a room full of kids who never had to do anything against their will. Uh, it would be absolute chaos. Suppose you worked in, a, in, a, in, your, in your workplace and uh, all of the employees did whatever the heck they wanted to do. Everything was, nothing was against their will. Suppose that you entrusted the security of your nations by, by your military with those who did whatever they wanted to do. You wouldn't feel terribly secure uh, with that kind of attitude. And so, you know, I hear that sort of thing in parenting philosophies, and I realize, I ask myself these questions. Do the folks that put this together have any kids uh, if, if they do, where do they get this idea? I mean, what do their kids look like? Most of us see pretty clearly that that, that would turn ugly really quickly as the four-year-old starts to grasp or three-year-old starts to grasp all the toys in the room, and then they complain that there's no one to play with. Having it my way is the common desire of all mankind. So is it the parent's job then to make this possible for your kids? Should we simply teach them to become good negotiators? The Bible calls this exaltation of self-idolatry. In fact, in the first two commandments, 
they're focused on this disordered worship, if this thing will. There we go. So let's take a look at that. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. God's first priority for us is rightly ordered worship. It also happened to be Satan's first focus of attack to plunge us towards ruin when he tempted Eve with the statement, you will be like God. I wonder if we think of ourselves, if our lives would be more ideal by saying, take me seriously. We believe that we would be much happier, I suspect, if we never had to do anything against our will. To say it another way, we believe that we should not subordinate our desires to any other because wouldn't they run all over us? We have within us this deep desire for pleasure and wonder and beauty and adventure. We want to throw off the mundane life and we suspect that others stand in our way of those desires. Our kids have the same battle within them, the same longings which drive them, which is precisely why that three-year-old grasps for all the toys. Now, where did this drive come from? Is this simply an expression of greed or lust? Or is it possible that God built this, these deep desires within us, to drive us to himself. If he is perfect and mighty and loving and good, if he is the God that you see people here worshiping on Sunday morning, then what could be more desirable than he? King David said it this way. King David was described as a man after God's own heart. Whoops. Let's see if we have that. There we go. And he said, You have made known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. So the parenting challenge then for us is not to make sure that our children's behavior is correct. Our challenge is to make sure that their object of worship is correct. So that's why when we open up this scripture, and this is our main text for this evening, uh, we see that the first thing that he, out of the gate is an, is an affirmation of right-ordered worship. Let's read this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In just a few sentences, Moses gives us the key to effective parenting. And it begins with your own belief. So the question then is, whom do you worship? 
or what? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. That first statement. There is only one master, one Lord whom you serve. No divided loyalty, no idolatry. God wants to lead his people to that which supremely satisfies, which is himself. Our tendency is to reach for lesser gods because they require nothing of us. They do not ask us to set aside our own will. In fact, they cannot speak. They are built with our hands, and we give them qualities they do not have, power to fill our desires and meet our needs. And once we've built them, we work wildly to protect them and fear losing them. So let me ask you, what might that look like in our culture? Whatever it takes, the highest priority in your life is what you worship. What would, you, or what would your kids say you value most? In what or whom do you trust for your well-being? What do you fear losing? Your job? Your investments? Your marriage? Now, to break from protocol here, I'd love for you guys just to shout out a couple of things. What do you think the culture uh, values most? What are some things you think the culture values most? Money, okay. Self, okay. Success, power, right. All of those things flow back into that, nothing against my will. The self being magnified, the money to get there. In fact, uh, Jesus talked about it this way. He said uh, in, in the question about division, of mastery. He said, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The same issues that Jesus is talking about, Moses is talking about is a one hearted, one, an undivided worship. Um, So if when I go to bed, the last thing that I think about or the first thing that I think about when I wake up is some worry that I have, is it perhaps an expression of misdirected worship? Is it possible that I've let something encroach on my trust that I can lose and therefore should be fearful about? What one thing's absence would be most noticeable in your life? That would give you some indication as to what you worship. Your kids are far more likely to value what you value. And if, they, if you find God supremely desirable, they will likely catch a vision that will only be satisfied by Him. So, God leads Moses to begin this instruction on rightly guiding your kids with the exhortation to rightly orient your own heart. It follows that if I find something supremely valuable, my response will be to worship, to love, and to enjoy. How I live will expose the reality of my belief, and that's where authenticity and worship is uh, best shown. So I I joke with my kids a lot. In fact, uh, as I prepare for this time, uh, tonight I told him I was going to speak on what uh, such a great dad that I was. 
And, you know, my kids look at me, and they give me this look, right? And so what they're really, they're smiling, of course, and they're saying, <laughs> yeah, right. Perhaps, Father, you should pick another approach. You know, this might not be the best way to go. Um, because they know me, and they know where I am weak, and they know they've seen me blow it right before. Uh, the reality is that I can convince myself that I believe God is worthy to be worshipped and, in fact, is the most desirable. But my words and actions expose from my heart a duplicity that is evident to everyone around me, especially my kids. The Bible is full of this struggle with duplicity, as the first two commandments warn us. And so, to be clear, then Moses backs up with this command, and he, he emphasizes, he says, look, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Another way to break down this verse might be to say that your heart is representative of your emotions and desires. I mean, there are lots of ways to say this, perhaps would give you a sense of it. Your soul, your entire being, your entire identity, everything about you, and your might, your strength, your financial resources, your time, your energy. Uh, it's another way to make it an all-inclusive statement. The sports coach might say, leave it all on the floor uh, to make that supreme sacrifice in the, in, the, in the military way. In any way you break this down, this is an all-or-nothing uh, all proposal that God wants from us everything. Jesus summarized the law uh, to a skeptical audience with these same words. And he said, uh, in this story, he said, one of the scribes came up to him and heard that they were disputing with one another, one another and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most com important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, Jesus is quoting the same passage that we're in today, uh, but he recaps it with this command for neighbor love. This is first seen or best seen in your own family. If you don't love your spouse or your kids well, your hypocrisy will be obvious to them. And you lose all of your authority because you have inauthentic worship. So neighbor love demonstrates to them, as it's seen in your life, who you trust and who you worship. John said it this way, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. John identifies for us what authenticity looks like. And the, to parent well, my principal focus must be an authentic, passionate love for God which will be seen in how I love those within my home. Now, if I do this and do this well, in humility, confessing my sin when I don't to my kids, right? 
then I can start to look at the specks that are in their eyes and I can put to death uh, my own bent towards idolatry. I have a, a be- better ability to see the core issues so that I can say, I can look with them and see the speck that's in their eye since I have now removed the log from my own eye. I gain the ability to listen to them without a bias towards my own desires first, right? This passage of Scripture is not telling us not to look for the speck in our brother's eye. It's telling us to get a right-ordered worship first. And our children certainly have a few specks in their eyes, right? And so it's our job then to get our worship ordered correctly, confess their sins, and then find, help them find the speck as well. This brings a second, another skill to us here, which is good listening. James said it this way, My dear brothers, take note of this. Each of you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now, parents, have you ever tried to power up? over your children to get them to do what you want them to do. I mean, is it possible that you might have raised your voice once or twice with your kids? Thinking that I will force them to obey me and thereby bring them into the holy communion with God and draw them closer to the Father. Uh, Unfortunately, this is a great rebuke for us to say, hey, Daddy, Mom, listen well. Don't speak. Don't let your anger try to drive them to repentance. Okay. As I teach by the authenticity of my worship, they are more likely to be able to embrace the specific teaching that is modeled by my life. Now, it's important for us to live authentically. It's also important for us to teach specifically. So the second part of this is that Moses says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontless between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. To teach them diligently means that we have to have at least an hour lecture every day uh, on the scriptures in our house. It's extraordinarily effective to sit down and have the kids lecture with them and let their eyes kind of glaze over. <clears throat> I try that for about five minutes, and my wife is going, No, Stuart, we can cut that off. <clears throat> so, you know, this is talking about as when I sit down, when I'm doing things as I go along the regular parts of my life. I sit down, I walk along the way, I go to sleep, I wake up. I'm just, it's that normal engagement of life where I'm teaching them as I go. That's, we want to teach them as parents moms and dads, as we go through life in the normal encounters of life. And we also want to make sure that the scriptures are prevalent in, the, in our lives. You see how they're tying them as signs and such. Uh, the, the scriptures are prevalent in their lives, being read and such. And so that's what the second session that Greg and Paige are going to teach us well on, that we're looking forward to that. Um, so how do I teach them to think biblically? 
Well, the first thing I would say that my kids need to know is to be able to fear the Lord. As early as we can in life, our children need to understand what it means to fear the Lord. Does it make you uncomfortable to talk about fearing God? We should not be afraid of teaching our kids the, to reverence and obey God because not to do so is to their hurt. God is not one that's hovering over them with a raised club that's just waiting for the opportunity to knock them on the head, but he is holy. Disobedience breaks our fellowship with him and has us working in opposition to God. It never turns out well for those who choose to work in opposition to God. My children need to be afraid of following this path. God longs for us to fear him. If you look back in the passage before this one, God has that expression of, oh, that they would fear me and so walk and obey my commands, that it would go well with them and they may enjoy a long life. So the first statement here your kids can learn is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and knowledge, or discipline, excuse me. I want to teach my kids the fundamental need to fear God. So if my children know the God's truths and continue to violate them, there is an insufficient fear that fosters a casual attitude in their heart about God, and I want to help them see their sin in light of God's righteousness so that they will want to restore their relationship with God. Further, I want to help them grow a heart that lives for the pleasure of the king rather than pleasures in themselves. Teach your children submission to authority. Do your children understand why they need to obey their parents? Do you believe that Do they believe that that, that you command them because it's some kind of power trip or to make your life more convenient? Or do they understand that it is God who commands them to obey for their own good? If you see in this passage, do you notice in the last part of this passage the similar phrase that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth is identical to the passage we just looked at. There's that continual reminder that you need to fear the Lord and obey Him You need to respect authority because it's a representation of who God is, that it may go well with you. So I'll ask my kids when they're disobeying me or have disobeyed me, and I'll say, well, um, that didn't work out too well for you, did it? And uh, they said, no, no. I said, is is it going well with you? And they'll say, no, it's not going well with you. When they were young, in fact, out of this trip book, The uh, um, uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart, uh, there's an illustration in there uh, that's got these two circles inside there. And so we would draw the circles with my kids. And so you, the one circle is this happy-faced kid in here, and he's obeying God and such. And then there's a circle on the other side of the page, which is an unhappy-faced kid, and he's disobeying God. And, and, and then there, there are arrows, right? So this kid chooses to disobey, and so he comes over here in this circle, and he's unhappy. And there's an arrow on this side driving them back to this happy kid that's obeying. And on that arrow, there's a spanking. Because uh, that's this thing where, where now daddy's driving them with some kind of, you don't have to use, you don't have to use corporal punishment. You can use something else. It just had to be real effective for me. Uh, so, 
So I always thought, you know, and, and, and uh, sometimes uh, it seemed like it would take forever to bring corporal punishment on my kids because, you know, it's not going to be one of these quick things. I think that's some of those intimate, the most intimate times that I can possibly have with my kids is that time of corporal punishment when they were little. I don't do that anymore. Uh, but, uh, it, but at the same time, you're thinking it can't be all that pleasant, right? So they, they would draw their own draw drawings of these two circles, and then they folded it up, and I guess they'd figure they'd trash it, whatever. Well, about, I don't know, several months, maybe a year later, after one of the kids I had done this with, I was going through a pile of their stuff, and I found this drawing saved in their pile of stuff with the two circles on it. And I thought, wow. And so I asked them about it. I said, well, you know, that just reminds me. what They were actually embracing the drawing, and they had gotten the picture of this brings me back into fellowship with God and made me smile. And I thought, okay. Well, so that works. So, I mean, that was, that was effective. It drew them back towards the Father. And that's, that's a part of uh, teaching them submission to authority. And so they memorized this verse, uh, these verses. They need to memorize it early. Okay. Um, you know, rejection of authority, I'm just giving you just a couple of ideas uh, of how, how that you might apply the scriptures as you go. But a rejection of authority is the American way. Um, and we want, to re- we want to teach our kids humility and compassion and a steadfast walk as modeled by authenticity of our worship. But we want to teach them how to a biblical self-awareness that asks them questions about, well, not focusing on others' reactions, uh, but on why did I react that way? That's why we have this verse, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know there are any anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Use these scriptures to teach these kids, teach our guys what it means to think about their sin in their, their, in their minds. There's so much more that we can talk about, and we will and, and love to, but I want to close up here uh, this per- period of time just with this one reminder. Um, when we, uh, we were on vacation in uh, Yosemite uh, National Park in California, and we uh, were sitting on a park bench, an area, kind of open area, in the midst of a forest very close to Yosemite Falls. <clears throat> And you could hear the roar of the falls in the distance. But there was a rather narrow uh, pathway that was cut, I'd guess, a half a mile or so long from the place where we were sitting in this dense forest straight back to the falls, right? And they were awesome, okay? The falls were awesome. But you couldn't see them until you stepped out into that aisle and looked down and see the falls. And so we were there for a good while, and I started to notice people walking the path this way, and so the aisles this way. And I would sit and watch them come along, right? And they'd be walking along, and they'd hear the roar, and they'd get closer and hear the roar. And, well, and then all of a sudden, they would turn, and they would see this view. And they would just go, oh, and stop and just wonder. And I thought, that is worship. Those people are responding to the awe of this sight right? That is what your life should be. Your life is to direct them and guide them and walk them towards the path where they can get the full view of the glory of God and go for themselves. Then you've done your job. Let's pray.
God, you are supremely desirable. You are the only one to worship. And when we rightly orient our hearts to worship you, we are filled with awe and wonder and delight. This, God, is our central task in life with our kids in parenting, is to direct them to see the wonder of who you are. And then, God, let them take that themselves to own it for themselves and to worship you rightly. And then we have fulfilled um, our task as parents, and we can delight with them and rejoice with them in the glory of who you are. God, grant us insights to put ourselves to death, to put our wills to death by the power of the Spirit, uh, and to embrace following after you in a servant's heart that with wisdom guides them with the Scriptures to the glory of God. And uh, God, we will, we will delight in that as we trust in you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Stuart. Um, let's move quickly to our sessions. You're not going to see me up here again until 635, so let me just do a couple quick reminders. The book table will be open uh, during the sessions. If it looks crowded, um, you know, right now we've got about five minutes, so if, as you leave today, if, right now, if it looks crowded, um, just know that you, you'll be able to sneak back over here uh, other times and, and grab your books uh, so don't get clogged up too much there. Let's uh, try and get over to the buildings. And then uh, the youth session, again, is in 602. So right now in 601, uh, the Matthiases uh, with family worship. And in 602, uh, the Trotters with modeling, example, and authenticity. We'll see you there.